This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with Head of Rugby Operations at Munster Rugby, Ian Costello. He discusses the implementation of the Munster Way and the process it took to create this, talent ID within the sport and how they have tried to develop these practices, as well as using external feedback as signposts for what needs to be done in the future. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. Ian, I appreciate you being particularly patient with me on this one. I know we've caught up a couple of times uh, for a few different bits, which we'll come on to during this. And then we did have a date in the diary, which I completely missed just through work and stuff. So, yeah, I really appreciate you being patient. How are things with you? Uh, Things are great. And and look, no problem at all. We've obviously had a couple of really good chats recently, and I've certainly got a lot more off you than you've gotten off me. So uh, you owed me one. So no problem at all. And looking forward to the chat. Yeah, no, it should be really good. And as I said, we, we, we've caught up a couple of times, introduced via Jamie, who is one of our former guests, and uh, yeah, kindly put us in touch. It's been a really useful, useful uh, link so far. Hopefully one that continues. For people that maybe haven't come across you, don't know who you are, do you just want to give a bit of an oversight of um, yeah, who you are, what you do from a day-to-day basis? Yeah, no problem. I suppose the easiest to work backwards. Um, I started a new role at Munster Rugby um, as head of rugby operations. Uh, that's a new role at the club. Um, so finding my feet a bit three months in. Um, I, I suppose the focus on that, ironically, it's 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 it says rugby operations, but it's it's very much a strategic role, looking at the short, medium, and long term, maybe decision making at the club, um, w- with a real focus around player development, our systems, um, how we implement different things around our our talent systems, right through into the senior team, into recruitment, retention, contracting, um. And yeah, and and involved in, you know, a lot of cool pieces like culture and leadership as well. So uh, as I said, early doors on that, I'm finding my feet a bit with that one. Um, the previous two years, I was head of the academy and pathway at Munster. Um, I came home from af- from the UK after being there for five years. And I suppose, um, you know, maybe 11 years in total coaching professionally and three years at WASPs. Um, defense was probably my primary focus. Um, I was head coach in Nottingham in the championship for the two years before that. And then prior to that was another stint with Munster. Um, I did six years with the senior team and a couple of years with the academy as well, um, with a few bits and pieces in around that. So I suppose predominantly um, uh, a coaching background and then transitioning more into talent development and, and now a little bit more um, strategy, I suppose. Nice. I think, yeah, really broad, broad range of experiences, which are really useful. Um, I guess the easiest starting point is if I were to come and watch Munster pathway teams or, you know, progression teams going to their first team over a weekend, what would the those within the club hope that I would see from a Munster team and Munster players? Um, well, hopefully after what we've, you know, uh, maybe done over the last couple of years, I'd like to think that as a, a very aligned and coherent monster away now um i think if you looked at any team wearing uh, a red jersey uh with a monster crest you would you, you would know what they represent and what they stand for um we've worked harder on having a really clear game model um clear technical direction in what we coach and how we coach it um i would make no apologies about the quality of coaching of being the number one priority 
uh, around um, uh, our player development. We think that makes has the most impact. Um, I'd like to think, as I said, that our practices, um, our values and beliefs are, are aligned and pretty coherent, but within a certain bandwidth, we'd certainly encourage uh, variability. I think that's a huge part of, of players and staff developing um, and people being able to bring their own style and their own methodology to how they how they coach, how they lead, etc. Um, so, yeah, I think that's hopefully something you would see. And, and then maybe from a senior team perspective, I've really established in the last 12 months with a new coaching group, again, what we stand for, um, you know, a high intensity ball and play, high skill challenge type of game that fortunately we had one of those seasons last year where we had a huge amount of momentum at the end of the year and it carried us through to the first trophy in, in, in 12 years. So, yeah, exciting times at the club and hopefully you'd, you'd, you'd sense that excitement and passion uh, and, and hunger to get better, not standing still and build on what we've done the last couple of years. And so when you're trying to pull that methodology, game models or ideas, values together, what does that overarching process look like for, for you as a club? How did you decipher through the, the reams of information which is online or, you know, experiences in the room to go, right, this is the values and stuff that we want to possess and have? Yeah, I think the first thing is 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 how we went about it is probably the most important thing, as I think you touched on there, Michael. It's... it's um. It was a series year one of 12 alignment meetings with all the staff on the pathway. Um, so we took our time because the key outcome we wanted is we wanted to bring this to life. And we wanted to be sustainable. We felt the way to do that. We made a, an early decision that um, there had to be ownership. People had to be invested and they had to feel part of the process. So we, we did it in, 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 in an incremental way um, to the point that at the end of two years, we now have you know, pretty much everything we want to have centralized in that it's documented um, and very, very clear on what that monster way is now. So it would look, it was a tough process in that there was, you know, as I said, 12 meetings in a year and then eight in the second year. So a series of 20 alignment meetings, and that's just the, the workshop piece. And then there's countless hours working together, coaching together. Um, and we very much adopt the model of, you know, social learning um, where, we like the the learning and sharing ideas to be really organic. Um, we spend a lot of time together. Um, we put aside deliberately, put aside a lot of time to to I suppose evolve what we're doing. Um, and where possible, that to occur as naturally as possible. Um, and probably guided by a few key people as well. So, I suppose that's the that's the process. And 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 what underpinned that was some very clear objectives. Um. And we worked very hard to get vertical alignment within the building from our senior team to our academy and to our pathway. That's probably our super strengths now. And we can go into that a little bit more. But then because Munster is a region and those who don't know it, it's, you know, it's very community based. It spreads across six counties. So schools and clubs are massive in that. We have a lot of key stakeholders. So we worked very hard on the horizontal coherence as well. So when we came in, I suppose we had maybe three very very key objectives to to bring that to life and um yeah so far so good but it, it needs ongoing attention yeah i was gonna touch on the objectives piece so you mentioned around having some key objectives there could you give, give us an example of maybe one of them and how you were able to really um i guess attune those meetings or those collaboration pieces or the ideas to that particular objective 
Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, I'll answer that in two ways. One is, I suppose, visually, if we could see it, we, we'd see three intersecting circles where they all connect between the pro game, the academy and the, the, the pathway of what will be called rugby development. We, we kind of got rid of the term elite and development. We changed that to one pathway. That was a massive change, even though it might be semantic. Um, it gave us a good shared understanding of what we're looking for, a good model to work from. So um, the key objectives, I suppose, were to establish a very clear model and a very clear framework in terms of that shared understanding and for it to become part of the consciousness of the of the whole organization. Um, the actions that underpin that were the key relationships between academy and pro staff, you know, even how we're situated in the building, um, our presence in meetings, uh, and a huge amount of organic interaction both ways. And then the same between the academy and rugby development. We deliberately created a lot of touch points where we worked together and formally met as well. So some 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 quite focused strategies around that that uh, I, I suppose yeah there you know there there is a formal sense to them but the the real strength was was in the informal organic nature of that and by spending a lot of time together um it became a little bit more natural in terms of those objectives so yeah that's 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 an example of a couple of them um and, and then we can talk maybe about the I suppose the detail that underpins that, our technical direction, we have a cornerstones program, very clear on what our attack, defence, transition principles are, and again, how our game model impacts all of that. So that became a a, a key objective to align that from top to bottom. Okay, this is, yeah, that's a really nice segue. Let's, let's explore that. So in terms of understanding those um those principles or the, yeah, the game model, et cetera. How, how did you as an entire club come to the decision that that's the game model you want to have? Because I know previously, and you know, being in football in the UK, um, managers change relatively quickly. Uh, I think it's fair to say. And if you go down maybe what the first thing manager now wants within six months, it could be a new one and you're chopping and changing and it becomes very messy. So I'd imagine it'd be, you'd want a level of alignment and a level of consistency of what's being taught to players so that you're preparing them to hopefully make that top level. So yeah, what did that process look like in terms of research and deciding actually that the way we're going to go is this? Yeah. And look, that's, that's been the main body of work. Um, and again, let's, let's, let's put context as king, isn't it? And everything. And you've just touched on, you know, um, a technical model needs to live beyond, you know, um, transition of staff turnover of staff and especially at the top level you know um it's so difficult to design and implement a technical program that if it changes every 12 to 24 months i think we you know will struggle to get any identity and consistency so the context is we had a change in coach coaching group um a year ago so when i came into the job it was under a different coaching group and you probably couldn't get more contrasting styles of play and again those who are familiar with monster if they look two years ago versus one year ago, um, yeah, they literally were poles apart. Um, so 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 that provides our, our I suppose presents a, a certain challenge. But we use a couple of guidelines around that is is my job, I suppose, is to interpret and filter what the senior team are doing, interpret and filter it down to the pathway and see what's relevant for the academy for the NTS, which is our national talent squad, right down to our age grade squads. 
and they're all time dependent in that our academy trained full time with our seniors. <clears throat> so alignment needs to be close to 100 percent. NTS are probably the guys who we hope to be professional in the next three years and then work our way down to our 19s, 18s, etc. <clears throat> so rather than necessarily a passport of what you do at each level, we designed again a bandwidth where we worked off a principle based model. And that principle-based model, you know, again, visually, we brought that to life with four key principles around the outside, um, a foundation that was very much specific to the monster identity, and then a clear piece in the middle where um, everybody was clear what type of players we were trying to produce. So now we had a framework that guided all our session design, our session planning, how we coached, how we questioned, and players were very, very clear around what that um identity looked like and what was what the expectations were from them uh, around um getting selected in a red jersey so what would that look like what would the the type of players at Munster are looking to progress into their first team environment what does that currently look like yeah it's that's pretty timely because we've done a couple of pieces of work and we've evolved that and i suppose if i was to you're testing my memory now here without notes in front of me but the game model would be around <clears throat> starting fast playing fast high tempo something that would be if you can picture a wheel that'd be one of the points um and i just want to be clear this is very much the the pathway model uh relentless both sides of the ball looking to develop decision makers under pressure and the last point was uh nobody is bigger than a monster team big is back in game and again, we measure ourselves in terms of work ethic. And if we're to, if we're as an environment, you know, I know everybody has um, all their key values. We would have been around work rate um, and discipline um, in particular as two of the big ones and and belief really underpinned what we did last year. The players were looking for, again, you know, to play for Monster, you need to be tough. That's physically and mentally. You need to be competitive, um, uh, disciplined um, in terms of, application and focus around being the you know the type of professionals that we're going to look for in our environment work ethic as i said underpins it all um and then underneath that we were looking for players that were smart decision makers and comfortable on the ball so things that traditionally probably weren't associated with 17 18 19 20 year olds within our pathway so everything we did all our practices um, needed to align towards that and again as I said having that shared consciousness of exactly what that what that looked like um, and we just reviewed our summer program and what was really pleasing was our three key team uh, teams that we have um, all used that model of the basis for how they planned reviewed and previewed and that's what I mean by the model coming to life and, and my sense is because they were all involved and invested in putting that together stage by stage I think there's a lot more ownership and responsibility around keeping that alive. Yeah, there's a couple of segues I want to take there, but I'll choose this one first. Um, mm. So you've mentioned the, I guess, historical uh, thing that you might not have seen those types of players progressing or being identified. How um, did you guys go around either changing perception for your existing staff and making them realise that actually this is a positive moving forward and this is why it's a necessity, even though historically we haven't done this? Or secondly, how did you identify individuals that you thought were external that would be suitable to really, you know, bring this game model to life and allow you to show what best practice in this type of space looks like? 
Um, I suppose like anything, again, it's it's talking to people and coming in day one and spending the first, you know, couple of months listening to what people had to say and listening to what the Irish Rugby Union had to say around maybe why we didn't have as many players in national squads, where they felt the gaps were, um, observing matches, observing sessions, looking at data <clears throat> um, and comparing that with, you know, worldwide best practice and best principles. You know, very lucky as you know how we met Michael involved involved in doing a bit of research with, with with Jamie Taylor, so I had a lot of access to what really good looks like, both applied and from a research and literature point of view. So, very much take a pragmatic view in that you know around what works and what is practical. But the more evidence informed it is, um, the more research informed it is. Uh, again, um, we think that that's going to be far more robust. So. Um, I, I think in terms of what we did, um, there was a lot of foundation work, first of all. So again, around building buy-in was getting people involved in the process. So we identified a number of areas like a catch pass from a rugby point of view, which would be you kind of consider at your general skill level. We didn't pass the ball enough in training matches. We didn't practice enough in training. So um, as a result, the game was quite slow. And there wasn't enough of an emphasis on our breakdown. And our breakdown is is what we now call the heartbeat of our attack. It's what pumps oxygen to the rest of the body. There wasn't enough emphasis on that. And then probably the overriding one is it was very much a deconstructed training model, very much a part model. And we want to develop game understanding and contextual training, representative training. So again, I suppose my job was to steer that from a technical alignment point of view to say, here is a pie chart. And at this time of year, here is what I we want to see when we when we step onto the pitch. And it might be 50% unstructured, 33% working on our cornerstones, which is the program we gave to our fundamentals. Uh, and then maybe a much smaller percentage looking at what your game plan might be. So we just shifted the emphasis and focus. Um, and probably, if I'm honest, then we police that and we quality we've we've a really good team that quality control that to make sure that we're staying true to what we said we would do. Um, so look, hopefully that answers the majority of question. The external piece was was probably just people like yourself talking to, to get other views, other perspectives. And when we had an opportunity to hire somebody that we thought was the best candidate from another environment, um, if they were the right fit for us, you know, we didn't hesitate in bringing people in from the outside. I really like the, the feedback that you said around the national team as well, because you mentioned around why haven't we got as many players in there? It'd be really easy to go, oh, well, it's because so-and-so is in there and he doesn't like Munster players or because they play a certain way, which our players don't do. Um, and so that's their problem, not ours. Whereas actually having that as a resource to say, actually, like where's their skills deficiency? You're an objective eye to a certain point of view. Where are our players lacking that we need to help them improve to allow them opportunities to ultimately play at the highest level of their age group rugby? So it's almost like a really useful feedback tool via an external source that allows you to not have an entire picture, but gain part of the picture, right? Yeah, and I think uh, there's a couple of things that spring to mind there. And Michael, look straight up the perception of the monster pathway was there was a certain type of player at a certain type of level and it was reflected in national selection. And we know anecdotally and factually, if we get people from red shirts into green shirts and um, the experiences that that brings, it accelerates their development. 
Um, and we know now that if you play for the Irish under 20 team, 28 out of the 35 that are in the senior squad have come through that Irish 20s pathway, that 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 particular group. So we know it's important as a marker, not 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 essential, but we know that the probability is if they come through that, they have a chance of progressing to the top level. So we worked very hard to change the perception of the monster pathway, the perception of how people prepared um, to, to train and play the game. Uh, and we made it a big focus around players and staff and celebrating how they developed and, and, and people moving on. And we've had, <clears throat> again, very um, steady growth in terms of the representation we've had at Irish 18s, 19s and 20s level. And we have a certain target in mind where we'd like to get to. And we're just a little bit short of that at the moment. But what it really what it really meant is we had to change how we prepared players to play. And I'll give you one example just to bring that to life. We The players struggled with the intensity at national camp, right? The gap between what they did in their clubs and schools versus national level needed to be bridged. And one of the first things we did is we ran a series of six weeks of sessions where we brought in collective sessions when we brought in our best underage players. And the big focus was like game one of our point one of our game model, play fast, start fast, play fast, high tempo. And we made that the overarching theme of all our sessions. Yes, we tested skills, but we didn't stop. We said that has to be priority and intention number one. And then we, I suppose, uh, again, anecdotally, we, we, we debriefed all of those players when they went up to national camp. How well prepared did you feel compared this time versus last time? And we got some very good evidence, very good data back that said, yeah, they felt far more prepared. They were able to deal with the challenges up there. And it was reflected in selection. So I suppose that's real life decision making or, or programs that that have an immediate bearing. And we've learned from stuff like that. And that kind of intelligence has, has helped us evolve and make our programs even better. And I think, yeah, as you said, you've got a duty of care almost with that that progression rate of having, you know, 28 out of the 35 going on. It's important that you're in a position to to give them the opportunity and actually if it's just a way we're coaching as part of our game model that allows you to do that well that's a really simple starting point which us as a club can adapt and and try and assess um moving i guess this is going to take two segues the first one um around the talent id so how did you as a club identify players that were suitable to do this model because i imagine it would be um different you know you watch you watch the rugby world cup at the moment and you're going to see different types of players that are suitable for one system and not so suitable for the other so how did you guys go around doing that and then secondly i know we initially met around your research piece into talent identification so do you want to explain to everyone i guess what that has entailed and, and what's come up off the back of that um, yeah, no problem. I'll go to second bit first, Michael. I suppose what um, I'm looking at at the moment is, uh, and nearly finished, was hoping to have it finished in the next week or so, but I think it might take a couple more weeks, um, was around basically the individual um, and systemic factors that influence talent selection. So really looking at context and like talent ID is unbelievably complex and people that tell you they know for sure somebody will do X or Y uh, it just doesn't stack up um, and it's highly nuanced. And probably the more you read, the more you go, the more you realize um, how much more that you need to learn. Um, but we still have to make decisions. And so we can't we, we can't um, 
delay making decisions while research and literature and everything else catches up. So I suppose the, what came out of my research, first of all, is that there's three levels, micro, meso and macro, which basically means micro is a fancy word for individ, individual judgments. Meso is the organization and the influence that the organization has. Um, and then macro could be like the national government body, resources, etc. And the reality is talent selection, decision making is affected right across that spectrum. So an individual like you, you're picking somebody, Michael, it depends on your education and experience. It depends on bias. It depends on noise. It depends on a lot of individual factors. The organization depends on senior coaches, the values and culture and organization. Um, it depends on succession planning and depth charts. You know, is there opportunity um, and and to a certain degree resources as well, because you've got to make decisions with generally. And this is the thing that fascinates me most is you've limited resources, especially in rugby, and you've got to make decisions or cut your cloth to measure. And the best way to make decisions would you'd imagine would be when you've got the best information. Um, and that's not always the case. So you often deploy resources without having the intelligence to back it up. And then in our context, from a rugby context, I suppose the macro is is the Irish Rugby Union. There, uh, I suppose there's a dual management system on how you identify players and how you select players. Um, and then there's other policy things as well. So it, it look it's pretty fascinating. But I suppose essentially to turn that into practice and to go back to your first question is, we we spent again six months and and I used our interview Michael and there was eleven others. I used some of the information out of that to produce what a document, a, a one page around what we're looking for. So what does a Munster rugby player look like and look for? And basically we took that research and then Munsterized it for the want of a better term. So we have a very clear idea now from a technical, tactical, physical and psychological point of view, what pillars we think there are to the, to our talent ID process. And then we have an overarching you know, higher order traits or key qualities for 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 a more, maybe a more applied term around what we're looking for. And that now guides our talent selection. We didn't have that. It now it guides our talent ID. Um, so every time we have this document to refer back to, well, you know, are they ticking 75% of these boxes? You know, have they got the three of the five overarching traits that we think are vital? Um, and I think whatever way you go about it, having a framework and, and having something that uh, a model that everybody can relate to so we don't want everyone we don't want an echo chamber we don't everyone thinking the same but we still need something guiding our decision making and, and we've literally just um, got that piece of work finished in the last in the last month and what's the reception been from staff because obviously i appreciate some of it's going to be coaching or, or mbt are going to be supporting and stuff but they all have a role in terms of assessing players or narratives around players. You know, if someone says that some, if an S and C coach says that someone's looking sluggish and slow, they send it to the coach. All of a sudden, the narrative around that player becomes that. Um, so, what what's the reception be around these pillars, and how have you found um, them understanding the need for having a framework of where we can, I guess, stringently assess them on certain factors we know are important throughout the pathway. Yeah, I, I'm going to come back again and, and look, sometimes I apologize for for repeating myself, but but actually I, I need to stop doing that because it's about being consistent. Uh, and what I mean by that is we involved everybody in the process and we took our time doing it. So the 12 interviews I did as part of my research formed one part of it. Everybody in the pathway uh, was involved in workshops putting it together 
And then we moved on to senior staff and we went department by department in terms of pulling out what they believe were the key qualities. Um, and we finished off with the senior coaching group um, when 90% of the work was done. And that was very much with the aim of monsterizing it. So, so what, what I mean by the consistency is if we want this to live on and we want to, to, to be something that, that, you know, we bring to life and stays alive, having everybody involved in that and then constantly referring to it, constantly putting it out in meetings when you're talking around um, selection, when you're talking about decision making, about people transitioning from one level to the next. And, and I think that's where it's a guide. It's a framework. It's not it's not, you know, um, a, a non-negotiable because because I think that's what's that's what's amazing about talent development is it, it emerges it's dynamic it's so much influenced by your experiences and your development um and probably to pick an example the one that do you know sometimes you hear something and it just stays with you um and there's a presentation from david court who's involved with england cricket and the fa and he talked about the key pillars and uh shane warren for example um, didn't meet maybe three of the four criteria, but he had one that was world-class and he turned out to be a world-class cricketer. Now, this is from someone who knows nothing about cricket, right? But that always stands to me that you have to have room in your pathway for the unicorn and the outlier, but you can't design your pathway for the unicorn. you got to design around probability and what you know works. So that framework for us guides the majority of our decisions but we never exclude somebody completely on the basis of it. Hopefully that makes sense in that example. And I'm sure somebody can think of one in every sport. And that's the one that stuck with me. Uh, yeah, it's a really nice analogy in terms of what you're saying there. And I, I, I think having our, had our conversation before, you know, those, those pillars idea, it's all obviously an assessment tool, but it's also ability to see where, you know, super strengths may lay. And all of a sudden, if, if you're assessing someone and you're going, they are an exceptional, uh, they're an exceptional under the high ball, for example. That is from a technical and tactical standpoint, that is what they are brilliant at. You know, as a coaching staff, that you can keep working with them on that to make it world class. And that might help them forge a career in the game, whilst obviously working on all those other technical bits around it. So I think that you know, having that as a as a factor to say, we know that there's a super strength here or we know that their character is, you know, really puts them in a in an area of their own compared to previous year groups or previous individuals that we've had in that position. It's just a, a way to, I guess, retain historical data and current, uh, continuously assess them about what, what previous people have done and what future future proofing may look like. Yeah, um, and you, you touched a couple of things there. And one of the, 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 if there was a headline for that work that we did, it was that the psychosocial characteristics were considered the key qualities, like overwhelming majority. So when people reflected on, you know, I know there's a survivor bias element to it, but reflected on why people, why certain people made it and certain people didn't, it came back to things like work ethic, discipline, motivation, competitiveness, desire to practice. It came down, they were our higher order qualities. Um, so once the players reached a certain level, it became character based or it became, you know, I suppose mental in terms of mental skills became a, uh, they were weighted to a higher degree. And that was a big part of the research that information is weighted differently at different times throughout the pathway. 
And as you become more experienced and educated as a, as a selector, I suppose, again, you weight different things uh, differently. But character constantly came out on top, um, which is great, you know, because I think that was it's good to get that consistency when you talk to people that work in the business and research as well. And did that change your game model or training model uh, curriculum? Did it did it change the way that you guys looked to coach and, and the type of environments you were looking to create for the players? Um, subtle changes, I would say, around things like competitiveness came out as, as a key quality. So, again, when we look at the pie chart that guides, you know, the time we spend in each area of the game, one of the things that we looked at was there needs to be a thread of competition through a number of sessions in a week. So, yes, the focus is with a long-term agenda from a development point of view, but I suppose I'm working between both development and performance. Um, but competitiveness treads through both. Um, it doesn't need to be about winning games of development, but it needs to be about learning to compete, learning about consequences, learning how to prepare to win as well, um, if that makes sense, without even having to focus on winning week, week in, week out. At the top level, at elite level, I suppose, we need to win week in, week out. But again, a thread of competitiveness um, through how we coach would have been one of the outcomes in that. So that would have been one work ethic and other one, but that's probably the most, that's the one that I think evolved the most following following this piece of work. Um, and, and probably one other little piece, Michael, that you touched on, and you you really helped me with this when we when we spoke recently. Um, are you certainly... Um, I suppose kind of flick the switch around performance and potential it's how we educate ourselves that you've got performance now but we know that is not a strong indicator of future performance so how do we again articulate what potential might look like so and that's that's what's so exciting about 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 talent and all we do now is we ask ourselves those questions so we, we have a, a document and and you know you inspired a little bit of that in terms of work that you shared with me and and we've evolved that to a monster version of that so we're asking the right questions around current performance and then same thing what are the indicators that this person has potential to go to the next level and because of the work we've done we put a lot of stock or we weight a lot of value on uh, character traits now yeah i think it's a really interesting piece i had uh, wayne goldsmith on the podcast a few a few um weeks ago and he was talking about uh, a lot of qualifications and around how they've gone very technical and tactical base and he said that actually if he was to rewrite an entire curriculum he would focus those mainly on character traits he said because it seems like every sport that you go to people say the the the, the thing that helps people stand out is character traits or psychological capabilities rather than tactical or tactical skills. So he said maybe it would be useful if we earlier on in pathways, that was a focus of what we were trying to do, we focus on resilience or we're going to focus on competitiveness and allow them allow them to address that. But and your competitiveness piece is a really interesting one. I, I speak to the kids about it quite a lot. Um, from a 1v1 perspective, there's certain practices I put in place to allow them to, you know, move up a league or down a league if you win or lose or, you know, focusing on trying to find other people that win, other people that lose, partly for matchups, but partly for that psychological challenge that they have. And the, the biggest come, come away I give to them is if you're not competing with your partner, you're not only are you doing yourself a disservice because actually you're not, 
laying or training to the highest capability of yourself, but you're also doing them a disservice because if I'm an attacker and you're not defending against me as you would in a game, that's not preparing me for what the weekend looks like. So actually, let's help each other get better. You're all friends here, and particularly, you know, I'm working with Foundation for Kids. I was like, you're all friends here. You love being around one another. Let's help them be the best version of whoever they are going to be. Um, and you can see the kids kind of nodding along, liking the idea that they get to help their best friend be a little bit better by being competitive. So I think you can do it in, in the right way and frame it in the right way, regardless of age, just so that it does allow them to understand that competitiveness is going to be there throughout. We're just staggering what it looks like, depending on your age group. Yeah, look, that's brilliant. I've written down a few of those things, Michael. Um, and it is, it's framing it and it's not always about the result in a game, whereas that's where I think everyone's mind goes to straight straight away. A um, couple of things maybe that are worth sharing is, is uh, I think that's one of the key reasons why our senior team at the moment uh, is performing really well. I think we've got genuine competitiveness within the squad. Um, and that's on the back of some of the work that we've talked about. There is uh, excitement around the quality of player that's coming through. Um, and then to give huge credit to our head coach, Graham Rountree, and the senior coaches, these players get exposed regularly to senior training. So we've we learned kind of by accident when we had a situation two years ago when uh, 35 players and staff got got stuck with COVID. They, they go into quarantine and we had to play a European Cup game against Wasp. And basically, we had nine senior players and 14 players that had never represented Munster that had come from below our academy. And we came together to, you know, for two weeks and we ended up winning a game. But that experience taught us about alignment and coherence, taught us about role modeling and players being exposed to a higher level. So we took that learnings and then we plan it. So right now during the World Cup, we've eight under 20s that are in training with the senior team full time. And we have what's called our national talent squad, which is below our academy training a number of those training full-time with our senior team and that's really accelerating their rate of development but what it's doing as well is it means people are looking over their shoulder and they're seeing these guys that are coming for you know potentially for their jerseys and contracts in the future um, and it has created a real sense of competitiveness genuine competitiveness and the only way that gets cemented is through selection and that's where Graham in particular deserves a huge amount of credit. He he picks people on form. He picks people regardless of age and experience. And, and as a result of that, they've accelerated really quickly and they've repaid his faith in them. So I suppose what am I saying is competitiveness, again, is age and stage appropriate. Um, It can be one on one, as you spoke about. It can be moving up and down leaderboards or it can be breaking into a team to, to go and win a trophy as well. Um. And as you said, everybody has a responsibility to help a team prepare for that. And we put a huge amount of emphasis on the non-23 or the 15 guys in bibs that go against the first team. And your responsibility is to prepare them to train at the weekend. And and uh, yeah, that's in a good place at the club at the moment. Yeah, I, I actually saw this on social media. One of the more useful things that I've come across recently, there was a clip around um, Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots discussing the the interception that one of his players made um versus the Seahawks to win the game um and it actually came from a staff member watching their tape and identifying that a particular pick would work um because of the movement of of the defensive backs and then they they coached it with the scout team 
And the scout team said, like, listen, you're going to have, this is the way to combat it. And it turned out that that was one of the pick, uh, one of the plays that got used by the Seahawks. And the, um, the scout team had shown it to the starting 11 and allowed them to come up with a strategy to assist it. And so you think that, yeah, they're not the ones that have necessarily been on the podium and are going out and getting a Super Bowl ring, but actually by the way that they prepared, by doing their research, by analysing the opponents and coming with energy to to that practice, probably allowed them to go and win the Super Bowl. So I think it's a really nice anecdote around, even if you're not necessarily in the team now, the way you go about your business to support what is the current first team might get you a chance or might help us win games and it gets noticed by people around the building. And I guess for you guys, that's a big one, right? Noticing when people are displaying those behaviours. Yeah, you've, 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 you've hit the nail on the head. I think that's a great video, by the way. I love that video. Uh, it's a really good one to show players that help the other team prepare, or, you know, the, the opposition, the non-23. But the key is is highlighting it, reviewing it, putting it up in lights when those guys do a really good job. And I think Graham and the assistant coaches at the club, I would say that's one of the real strengths is is um, making people feel really invested in making the team better, uh, even when they're not starting at the weekend. And I think that, uh, again, it's it, there's, a, there's a high value attached to that in our environment. And that certainly helps drive competitiveness. No, it's really good. And then in terms of your your overall pathway, how do you, I'm sorry, I'm gonna ask that again. Um, in terms of your overall pathway, how do you manage um the volume of playing coming to the program? So I, I saw a, a statistic or a study on on uh Twitter the other day that said essentially with talent identification, you need to keep as many players in your vision or in your building for as long as possible because the understanding of what peaks and troughs and potential performance look like is so challenging that to go at under nines yeah this is going to be our group is really good but also to write someone off who's going for a bad period is equally as um is difficult so how do you go around managing and keeping eyes on players that maybe aren't in your pathway now that might be down the road or giving opportunities for late maturers or late bloomers to come into the pathway yeah, no, look, that's a great question. It's a, it's a very deliberate consideration of how we design and operate our pathway, uh, and it has to be. Um, that phrase you use there, as many as possible, as long as possible, comes from a bit of research. I, I think a guy called Erkstad, a Norwegian piece of research, and it was based on the club that Erling Haaland came from. So uh, my understanding is six players in a really small town in, in Norway, based on their program of as many as possible, as long as possible, have a really disproportionate amount of success. And, and what they did is they brought a lot of players to a certain level. Um, and, you know, again, I know that's just one case study, but we just took a little tweak on that and as many as possible, as long as possible, but then in brackets as good as possible. So we just have to make sure that there's a credibility piece attached to it as well, that, you know, to be in the monster pathway, you need to be at a certain level. So, uh, I suppose, like any good magpie, you know, rob it, tweak it, and make it your own a small little bit. But the concept is very valid in our uh, context, in our environment. I think if we were to look at other provinces in our country, they're maybe getting players that are a little bit more ready by the time they come out of school. So we need to widen our base because that suits our context. 
you know um and i think a very good a very good example somebody highlighted to me recently is if if you're recruiting for pilots to go to war you have to have a really narrow pathway criteria have to be so high but even if you're recruiting a, a, a team to go into a tank there's four to six of them in and so your your base is much wider and again i think you need to make decisions that are relative to your context and it came from a bit of a bit of army research from our point of view we have to keep it wide because we have a lot of late developers and maybe uh, in the ideal world um, some of our snc systems will kick in a bit younger and we wouldn't have players maybe developing as late physically and we could make decisions earlier but the reality is right now we have to keep that base wide so i think it's important that you've really clear criteria how people progress um but if somebody is is deselected, there has to be a credible route back into the pathway. And we've two guys that played a senior game last Saturday that if we didn't have that system, um, they wouldn't have come back into the pathway. And both of them have big futures ahead of them, I've no doubt. So they're good case studies to have again. So, yeah, as many as possible, as long as possible. But as important, it's as good as possible too. And how do you manage the deselection piece? Because I imagine it'd be really easy and some clubs have been guilty of this where they deselect and go right you're trash now we're done we'll see you later whereas actually what you need is a is a you know a useful framework or a useful process that allows them to still feel valued and say maybe this isn't the right environment for you right now but it could be in six months six years time and you you, you know there's still potential of having a future with us um, yeah, yeah, that's absolutely massive. And and again, it's having clear policies around how you deselect and why you deselect. Um, I think, first of all, we take a strengths-based approach. We look at what players can do versus what they can't. And that's, again, very particular. We use that terminology all the time is what can they do? What capacity have they to improve? And that's one of one of the things that we talk about quite regularly. Um, I suppose there's two type of errors. There's a false positive and a false negative. And the one that we want to avoid is the false negative. People that we release from our pathway or deselect that could have could have made it. Um, and it's a bit of a sliding doors um, thing because, Michael, if we both, I suppose, are in contention to go into a pathway and you go through and I don't, my world changes because I don't have the accumulated advantages that you have now. I don't have the environment that you have. I don't have the experiences, the coaching, the support. So we, we, we take our time and we're comfortable being in the grey on that and we hedge our bets a little bit. So we keep more we keep more bets on the table and I don't want to kind of reduce it too much to that, but we take a kind of a probabilistic view rather in what's called a deterministic view where we look at what people could become and we make sure that we have um, a wide enough base to incorporate or to include, so really inclusive. But what we do is we run parallel programmes so I'll give you one example. An NTS for us is a national talent squad. They're connected to a national depth chart. We provide the same service to PTS, which is provincial talent squad, because we know that players emerge later in our environment. We have a very high degree of success from that PTS. Whereas if we didn't have that and we deselected completely, we're missing out on a, pi a potential pipeline of players. So that's kind of one aspect of it, how we structure our pathway. Um, and then where we're very lucky is we have a very strong club game. So we often deselect and we have a process in place to observe them playing in the All-Ireland League. And we use a phrase like, OK, you're not going to come in the front door of the pathway now. 
but we've lots of evidence where people have come in the side door a year or two later just to make sure that they know they're constantly being watched, observed, and where possible, try give them regular feedback from coaches within the system. Yeah, I really like that that feedback bit and being able to observe and stuff as well. And the, the strength side is interesting because I'd, I'd imagine you could say to someone, listen, at the moment, this is your strength. It's not quite good enough for you to be within this pathway. However, you can do X, Y, and Z to make that a super strength and be a Shane Warne example. Alongside that, here's some other areas that we think would be of benefit. And it allows them to have a self-awareness piece of what they're good at. What's your USP going to be to allow you to be at the top level? But also you've got some, I guess, tertiary bits that you bolt onto the side of it to make a whole bit. So I think that's a really nice process that you described in terms of allowing people to pro- progress and, and have an understanding of where where they need to give some more time that might allow them to come in through the side door. Yeah, and it, and I think it's it's again the strategic piece is 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 around the decision making. How do you make the decisions, and when do you make them? So when are the time points? You know, what are the numbers, etc. Because you know, talent it's fluid and continuous. It can emerge at any point. So it's important that you know it, it's pretty open ended, uh, and it's not always just about deselection. For us, it's about decisions to delay somebody moving from one 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 um part of the pathway to another and we've had some good success um one in particular where we felt one of the best under 20 players in the country wasn't brought into the academy at the start of the season we didn't bring him in because he wasn't demonstrating some of the characteristics that we needed he responded incredibly positively and is one of our highest performing players you could argue that was going to happen anyway if he'd come into the environment but you know the decision was taken with the information that we had at that point at that time, the decision was taken to delay entry. He understand really clearly why he wasn't being brought in and what we were looking for and what the expectations were. And he met them and went beyond them. So, again, it's very individual and it's very context specific. Awesome. I'm conscious of time. So one last question for you, even though we could talk like this for hours, which is um, if I were to ask the people that you work with uh, to describe you in three words, how would you hope they described you and why? Oh, um, I'd like to think um, passionate would be would be right up there. Um, I'm very privileged. Absolutely love what I do. Um, I've surprised myself by how passionate I am about talent development and and player development and systems and structures because I've been coaching for 20 years. So hopefully that comes across. Um, I would say attention to detail. Um, that would be something that probably associated with the way I coach. I'd be, I'd be quite methodical. Um, and then I hope that people would say that, you know, I really care. I really care about people improving, developing and care about them as as uh, as individuals. Um, and I don't mind saying I would say that was something that I wasn't explicit about, you know, when I spent too much time behind a laptop as a younger coach. But hopefully people would recognize that's something that I've 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 worked hard on, you know, after reflecting awesome this yeah amazing conversation it was one that we'll definitely pick up again further down the road but really appreciate your time and we'll uh, catch up soon no doubt because we've been in constant contact so yeah look forward to our next chat oh, thanks a minute michael really appreciate having me on
Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.